Dylan Jacoby, the after show is proudly presented by State Farm. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And now, Jalen and Jacoby. It's time for us to move on to episode 10. And episode 10 takes us to Salt Lake City, Utah. And that series against the Jazz. And these Bulls and that team, that duo of Stockton and Malone, that fan, that fan base, that environment, and of course, the shot. Now, you were an NBA player at that time. When you saw that shot and you saw Jordan hold that goose neck, what went through your mind? That I could have been Michael Jordan or I could have been Byron Russell. <laughs> Brian Russell, yeah. That, 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 that's what was going to my mind. Like I was playing minutes. I was contributing. I was hoping to try to make a name for myself, but I was just a young punk. A bug on the windshield, happy that I had my OG vets giving me an opportunity and believing in me and Larry Bird giving me an opportunity to play. But that's all time elite greatness. It is. Just think about this. This man has already won five championships, Jacoby. And in the sixth one, he steals the basketball from Carl Malone. They don't call a timeout, goes the length of the floor and makes a great play free throw line area. And makes the game winning shot. What I I really wish, and I know like the Wizards years may be spoken fondly of for MJ. That should have been it. That should have been it. Well, I, I think that through this documentary, we've learned sort of the ethos of MJ, and I feel like he feels that there was much left for him to give, and he needs that competition. But one thing I love about the experience of The Last Dance is over time, you remember the shot, you know, but you forget things like Scottie Pippen's back, and you forget mm. things like the layup that preceded mm. the shot. You forget the steal, and that's one thing that's been so nice about this documentary is it's filled in the blanks in my memory of all those moments that I watched but didn't carry with me me this many years later and because of that reason it is so exciting to discuss all of this with the director of the film just like we saw the bulls when they went from our friend and colleague doug collins to phil jackson with real guidance and the right coach nba teams go from good to great just like real help from your state farm agent can make all the difference in protecting what matters most jalen who are some of the greatest coaches in NBA history off the top of your head? Some of the greatest coaches in NBA history, you start the early days, you have to mention Red Arback. As you fast forward that to the 80s, you got to think about Pat Riley. Shout to KC Jones as a member of the Celtics head coaching staff, Greg Popovich of the San Antonio Spurs, the work that he's done there, Doc Rivers what he's done with the Celtics and the Clippers. There have been some really influential coaches. Phil Jackson winning 11 championships with the Bulls and then going on to the Los Angeles Lakers. And my guy, Larry Legend. That's right, I said it. The only player to win MVP, Executive of the Year, and coach of the year. I don't know if that'll ever be done again. Well, it will never be done again. And you also will shout out Larry Burks. He gave you a big contract, Jalen. Yes. Big contract. That's why yes. he is mentioned as one of the greatest yes. coaches of all time. And just like those coaches took their teams to the next level, a State Farm agent can do the same for you. Talk to a State Farm agent today about combining your home and auto insurance and get a teammate 
who can help guide you through whatever life throws your way. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. We're all in the same boat, stuck in our homes during a quarantine, joining our friends on Zoom calls. We all know there's a lot going on right now in the world, and we're all shopping online as we stay at home. I just saw that AT&T started doing two really helpful things for those who want to buy a new phone or device online. They're offering fast, free, no-contact delivery and curbside pickup so that online shopping is simple and safe as possible. On top of that, they have a flexible return policy so you can shop at ease. You can visit att.com to learn how to shop online from the safety of your home 24-7. Subjects to change, restrictions apply. Man, oh man. Jalen, I can't believe it. Like, I just cannot believe that we have now seen the final episode of The Last Dance. You know what? I don't think we have. I don't think we have. I know Michael Jordan went on to play on the Wizards. I know Michael Jordan went on to own the Hornets. We're going to get more. And if anyone's going to give us more. We need to create a Hodges episode. It's going to be this man who's going to bring it to us. The director of The Last Dance, Jason Ayer, joins us once again. And now we will discuss... Jacoby, can I, can I go Darrell Revis for like five seconds? I know you did a great job preparing for this. I prepare for the show. And and I know Jason is a highly trained professional and his name is trending all over the industry. I have to say something. We all have naysayers and I look at social media every now and then, Jason, and people be like, yo, look at Jalen's hair. He looks like a logo. He looks like NBA 2K is too dark. It's too crisp. And I know they just hating because I know I'm fresh. I feel the same way when I see critics of the doc and 99% of people love it. Some people like, I can't follow it. It goes back to 92. It go back to 93. That's how you can tell the story. Have you heard any of this? Has some of this been a blip on your windshield? What are your thoughts when you hear that? Um, I've certainly heard it. Yeah, I, I I can see the 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 criticism. Um, and people are entitled to to whatever their opinion is. You know, if if they couldn't follow it, then then um, you know, it's either not for them or it's a it's a failing of ours in the edit room. We we uh thought about this long and hard. You know, we have I had a, a huge cork board in my office and that was kind of like the mothership. So every day we would come into my office and there was this big brick wall with this big cork board and all these um note cards on it. And the green ones were 98 and the white ones were flashback. And that's how we could tell you know how the story went. We would switch these cards around sometimes and tell different stories in different places. But by and large, it was, it was that 84 to 98 timeline was the white cards and 97, 98 was the green cards. I, I, um, should think about, uh, posting that so that people can see what we were seeing. Um, and for those of those people who didn't understand it, you know, I don't think that's going to convince anybody. I've, I've, I've learned my lesson in the last few weeks, uh, not to engage in anything <laughs> like that online. People who want to never fight. Well, listen, um, Jason, you're being very respectful. And you're being very nice, but I'm going to speak for you gentleman. for a second. It's not that complicated. There is At a all. graphic on the screen <laughs> for all. about 10 seconds that tells you what time you're about to see. <laughs> and there's also some things. Is Horace Grant on the team? Is Tony Kukoc on the team? Is Dennis Rodman on the team? What guard is on the team? Is it the white guy, John Paxson, or the white guy, Steve Kerr? There's very <laughs> clear indicators of where you are in the timeline. You know so what? 
had no trouble whatsoever. But I hey, you- Jason, I saw a debut of an NBA player that reminded me of David Jacoby in The Last Dance. He's Judd Bushler. That's you, David. What are your thoughts? I think I'm going to move on to some actual content for our guests. That's going to be important. That's what I think. I Rusty LaRue is coming up there. <laughs> so this is, again, is, is as we just came off um, Michael Jordan's sort of defining moment with the win over the Jazz, there's something that's very important to me, and that is what he was listening to before the finals game in the back of the bus with the headphones on. Very proud he had it early. Yeah, Jason, tell up. us about cutting that scene. Michael had the Kenny Lattimore hookup before anybody Good else luck. had it. Um, I still don't know who Kenny Lattimore is. I, I, I know that uh, Michael is <laughs> a legend, R&B, OG. <laughs> I'm not supposed to be the music guy, so I'm, I'm telling on myself here. But um, you killing is, it with the music in this, by the way. Uh, our editors, uh, specifically, I think it was Devin Concanon, um, who saw that footage. Heard Michael tell Andy Thompson's voice, and Andy Thompson is the godfather of all of this because this whole thing was his idea to embed cameras, so shout out to Andy Thompson. His voice is the one off camera saying, what are you listening to? And Michael's like, huh, with those big 1998 headphones. And it's Discman, the non-skip kind. Remember those? Wow. Um, can't can't walk too fast, can't run at all. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Devin figured out by the – he went back to Kenny Lattimore's new album in 1998, then matched up like M- Michael was mumbling words and he tried to like lip read and see what the words were. Then he looked at the lyrics from Kenny's songs and then he put the possible wow. songs up against Michael That's walking down the crazy. hall and did the beats per minute with Michael bobbing at Michael's head and came to the wow. conclusion that Michael was listening to days like this. And that was true. So that's the level of detail that, that, um, the editors put into this. It wasn't just like, let's, let's choose a Kenny Lattimore song because Michael said he's listening to Kenny Lattimore. I saw the rough cut of that and didn't know that that work had gone into it. And this was, we were in full quarantine. So I'm seeing this like on a, on a link, um, a non-leaked link, I should say, by the way. <laughs> um, and I, I heard the beginning of that song and I'm like, what is this? What did they choose? Cause I didn't, cause we have songs that I've put in the system like, this is commercial music. This is our score. And that was neither. And then I was like, wait a second. This sounds like 90s R&B. I think that's Kenny Lattimore. And <laughs> indeed, indeed it was. And it, I knew it would be days like this. Like it kind of worked lyrically. It just, it fit the mood of him. I mean, Michael looks like he's going in to play a preseason game when he's shooting around in those low cut black J's with the, with the white socks mm, up to his shin. Crispy. Um, and says, don't look at my effing feet. Look at the ball going through the hoop. Um, so it just worked. And, and that, that's the level of detail that, that everyone on that team, uh, our team, I could b- not be more proud of them. That's a perfect example of it would have been easy just to throw any song in underneath there, especially under the conditions we're working, like get it out as fast as possible. No. The amount of like detective work that had to go into figuring out what was in that, those headphones. Um, cause it's not like we're texting Michael and saying, Hey, what were you listening to? But, no, <laughs> we had to, we had to figure it out through other means, but they, they did it. Yeah. That would have been such a me head move. Hey, Michael, what were you listening to? <laughs> we would have never got this documentary if y'all were sending him messages like that. No. Um, what about the atmosphere in Utah? You guys made it really apparent that you wanted to focus on 
those two teams facing one another in the last couple of episodes, but also just the the really tough atmosphere and environment that was playing against the Utah Jazz. Difficult, uh, passionate, ferocious, man. Like that, that was, I didn't realize there's certain places in the NBA that are notorious places to play. And, and only recently have we seen some incidents that happened in Utah and, and, and their fans getting a little bit rowdy and, and being banned and, and whatnot. I didn't realize back then that it was like that to the point where some of the players weren't bringing their families to these games. You, you saw, uh, Marcus Can't bring and your family. And Jasmine, like, mm. and Jalen, you would know better than, than Can't anybody. bring your family. Absolutely. Cannot bring your family. Yeah. Because they, they had had incidents, um, with players' wives being yelled at and, and just being subjected to some behavior that they didn't want to subject themselves to. So it was hostile, man. And especially these were fantastic teams. Um, and they came close the year before and they had a better team that next year. I don't know what the betting odds were going into the finals that year, but, but Utah should have been favored. They swept the season series with them. That was the only team in the entire NBA that the Bulls didn't beat that year. Mm. Jazz. And you saw what happened in episode, at the end of episode four, they squandered like a 23 point lead and lost that game. Now, if they win that game, then they split the season series and they have one more win than Utah. Cause I think, I think they both had 62 wins. Right. Then these game one is in Chicago. Mm, they, they blew right. that lead back uh, crazy last game of the first half of the season before the all-star break in the end of episode four if they win that game it's a seven game series with chicago having home court and who knows what would have happened it worked out the right way i'm sure none of the bulls would take it back but at the time i'm sure they, they damn well wish they they had home court because they had to get on a plane right after they they had that hard-fought series against you guys with the pacers well um Michael Jordan uh, always talks a lot of trash and is always confident, but is, is always sort of like a direct. He's sort of a sniper with his trash talk and not a shotgun. And there was something that he said during this episode that I want to get some more insight from you. It is the bite where someone's talking about how hard it is to push around Shaq. And he says, I ain't Shaq. I ain't Shaq. Like I said, I ain't Shaq. What <laughs> does that mean to you from his mouth? He is very reluctant. Uh, to speak of himself in superlative terms. You don't mm-hmm. have to say, I am more imposing than even Shaquille O'Neal, which is what he meant by that. I ain't Shaq is, you're dealing with a different beast than Shaquille O'Neal, who is maybe the most dominant player of his generation. I'm taking not an ounce away from Shaquille O'Neal because I think that that he's underrated. When we talk about best ever conversations, and you want to talk statistics and all that. I think that, that Shaq doesn't get involved in these conversations enough. So shout out to, to him. Michael is saying, I ain't Shaq three times is you're dealing with something completely different when you're dealing with me. I'm not Shaquille O'Neal. So yeah, maybe he could pu- push them around physically, but you're dealing with something mentally and spiritually that is on another plane than Shaquille O'Neal. So Jason, I'm looking at Twitter right now and this reminds me of something. Earlier in this amazing series, congratulations. I hope you got a tailor and order some new suits because you're about to get a lot of awards. About Dennis Rodman earlier taking a vacation during the season. Today, it's about during the finals, Dennis Rodman misses practice so he can go wrestle against Hulk Hogan in the NWO. 
With Give me Hulk more Hogan. insight to this. Let's be journalists about this. With Hulk with Hogan. With Hulk Hogan. With Hulk Hogan. With Hulk Good Hogan. Correction. Good correction. Good in correction. the NWO. Like, he missed practice during the finals. Yes. What about that event surprised you when you talked to people that were involved? That they expect that it wasn't anything unexpected. That they were so nonchalant that they allowed this to happen and they weren't worried about what was going to happen. I'm sure it was frustrating. You could sense uh, in, in Phil's tone of voice. Yeah. But I think that Phil was more frustrated that he had to answer the questions. He said, it's important to you. It's an issue for you, not for us. But the amount of trust that they had gained, it goes back to that the, the Indian drill when he came back from vacation. Mm. They knew mm-hmm. this guy was going to show up. They knew that when it was his turn to run from the back of that line to the front of the line, he was going to lap them four times before they got a chance to catch up with him. So whatever he was going to do, he was. we talked a couple of weeks ago about the kid who goes crazy until dinner time, but he's home by dinner. And he washes up and he brushes his <laughs> teeth and he gets in the bed, but he's a wild man during the day. That was Dennis. So I think the most surprising part is when you tell people, when I re- remind my brothers and my friends, like uh, Dennis Rodman left after game three to go wrestle in Detroit for the WCW <laughs> with Hulk Hogan. This was not after this. This was not in between series. This was during the finals. He went to do this. And it's not like he couldn't have twisted an ankle. It's not like Correct. Lying no. off top ropes and he's hitting dudes with a chair. Who knows what could happen? Especially with that crowd, who knows who could hop over the fence and do something. So the amount of rope they gave him speaks volumes about Dennis Rodman that they weren't concerned. They just kind of rolled their eyes and thought it was funny. But no one thought, oh, my God, this guy's off the reservation. We're, we're going to lose the finals because he's a key cog in the machine. It was like, nope. Well, Dennis mispracticed. And you could see that, that uh, Phil was joking around that he, bought, he brought uh, fame and disreputation upon the team and – <laughs> had to beat him up with pool noodles before the practice. But that was it. You were just like the kid that you roll your eyes at and you know he's going to misbehave, but you also know he's going to be the first one in line when the chips are down. And one of the things I love so much about this documentary and reliving all these moments is we remember them as singular moments, but they forget the context. And one of those moments is the shot. When, you know, game's on the line, game six, championship's on the line, and he pushes off Brian Russell. Now, what this documentary does such a good job of showing us is the layup in the possession that preceded that, and then the defensive steal outsmarting Stockton and Malone in the defensive possession right before that, and then the shot itself. Like, I love that so much. But I also love the fact that to this day, Michael Jordan will not admit that with his left hand on the right butt cheek of Brian Russell, he <laughs> ushered him along down the lane. What do you think about that particular push-off? I think that that his momentum was absolutely going that way. I don't think that he took him and and pushed Brian Russell across the lane. I think that he knew he said it in episode nine he plays on the balls of his feet and he knows mm-hmm. how Brian plays defense and he knows that if he jukes him that he's gonna go that way. Um, I agree with Bob Costas when he says that it was like a Mater D showing someone to their table. If you look mm, at that low angle, nice video was not filmed. That's the low angle shot, the slow mo shot. His hand is clearly on Brian's body, but I don't think there's any pressure being exerted to to push him off. Regardless, I want to go back to what you said because I think that's the most incredible 42 seconds in in the history of of the NBA, and. Mm. I think that what doesn't get enough credit, it reminded me of that high off the glass 
layup that he had against Georgetown in 82, which I, I think mm-hmm. also doesn't get enough credit in the waning seconds of the game, which we showed in episode one. That layup when they were down by three to bring it to within one was not a gimme. And not at all. Knew no. Where the ball was going and what was going to happen when the ball got there. Everybody knew that ball was going to Michael and he was going to, if he got it in the right wing, he's either going to pull up and shoot or he's going to drive to the hoop. So two dribbles in, he's driving to the hoop and he had to go over like two or three, two and a half guys high off the glass. If he misses that shot, we're in game seven. And if we're in game seven, I don't think the Bulls win the title. I think they were out of gas. And I think he knew that at that moment too. So this is it. So you want to talk about clutch genes and clutch performance. From the time that that ball was inbounded when they're down by three, no other Bulls touched the ball for the rest of the game. <laughs> no other Bull touched the basketball for the rest of the game, and they won the title. So to me, it was the perfect bookend that in 1984-85, he comes into the league as a rookie, and he's got no other help on that team, and he has to win these games by himself. And then he had to learn how to play with his teammates. And they won title after title once he learned how to play within a system but still be the star. He gets all the way to the end of his Bulls career, and what's happening? He's by himself again, and he has to win the game by himself again. So it's the perfect bookend. I mean, it's if you, if you wrote this in a script, you get laughed out of every Hollywood office. But, uh, but it happened. This hurts me, Jason, because early 90s as a Pistons fan, we had to walk off and not acknowledge them. That's just what rivals do. Late 90s, I was a member of the Pacers. And in 98, he made a game-winning shot against Byron Russell. What did Air Jordan have to say about that play? Uh, in 98 against Brian? Yes, the, 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 the game winner against Byron Russell, the walk-off for the, for the sixth championship. Well, you saw what he said. I mean, to, to, to hear him break it down, I, I've, I've, that's another one of those questions I've always wanted to ask. Um, and he broke it down. He, he knew. He could see the entire floor, and he knew that that he needed to get Brian on the balls of his feet. Um, and he was either going to juke him and, and pull up, or he was actually going to go to the bucket. And, you know, only Michael knows exactly what his game plan was there. I think it was pretty much uh, improvised off the top of his head. What I was more interested in, and we asked in the doc is, is the perspective of the guys who were on the floor with him because, you know, we talked to a lot of players who said that, that the, there's the temptation when you're playing with a guy like Michael to watch the game happen because you're so mm-hmm. amazed at, at how he plays and how he moves on the floor. This is high, high pressure. Like this is do or die. They have 17 seconds left. And as Bob says, 17 seconds from game seven or championship number six. I thought it was so funny that that Pippen said, "What do you what do you think in that moment? Get the hell out of the way." <laughs> one of the best players of all favorite. time. <laughs> Only top favorite. fifty dream team. Top fifty yeah. all time. <laughs> Get the hell out of the way, and that and that uh, Robin said he wasn't going to give the ball to f-ing Kerr. He's not giving it to f-ing Paxson. He's taking this shot. So this was the moment, and I think that was palpable. No timeout called. No one considered calling a timeout. And everyone knows exactly what's going to happen, which is why I love that picture. It's why we, we use that picture and zoomed in. The faces of those Jazz fans, they look like the ball has already gone in the bucket when he releases it. Because for him to get a clean look is tantamount to the ball going in the basket at that point. So it's, it's you 
Utah fan face, Utah fan face, Utah fan face. And it's like that. It's like a where's Waldo photo. There's that (laughs) one little kid with the Bulls jersey on who's got his hands up as if the shot had already gone in because everybody once the ball left his hand. It's like everybody knew what was going to happen next. It was almost like you lost the game just by him getting off that shot. So I love that photo. And that's something that we wanted to to highlight all along that was in the plans. And, oh. and the thing the thing that is the foundation of this documentary, this unseen behind-the-scenes footage, gives us a very special insight into that particular shot because he's discussing it in the locker room after the shot goes in. And you don't really see him gooseneck jumpers the way that he did, but he sort of explains it. Jason, sort of like, tell me about finding that footage and talking to Michael about it and what he meant about that. Yeah, well, that's this is Abai Sofsky. He's, he's the same editor I, I told you guys about a couple episodes ago. And, um, you know, we, we discussed this is another quarantine edit, so I can't be in the room with him. And, and we discussed what the storyline was from that game and, and which which stories we wanted to hit. And I gave him a cut of music, and and um, which, by the way, Jacoby from your grandma, you used it, you used it. Yes, <laughs> I recognized it. I recognized it. <laughs> Back in our Grantland days, I did a, a short film about a, a fighter named Kid Chocolate, Peter Quillen, uh, and his yes. first, first yep. title fight. And we used a song by Zach Hemsey, the brilliant composer, uh, called "Vengeance." In that, and and we went back. You know, to I recognized that. it. You know, yeah, I recognized I, it. Back to that for this one. So I gave Abai that that um, that song and all the stems, so the individual strings and drums and horns and all that, and said, "Just have fun with this." And we had said that you know, as the game progressed, Michael was getting more and more tired. So you see him starting to come up short on those jumpers, and um, we didn't have time to get the full discussion between him and Phil uh, in the doc. But Phil said in the interview that he was reminding Michael to follow through on that jumper because you're coming up short because you're not following through. Mm. You're right. You rarely saw Michael do the gooseneck after a shot, but he, he did that to, to make sure to, he held that pose, that famous pose now that's almost as mm. famous as, as, the, as the Air Jordan pose. Um, yes. That's the reason why he was doing that. So then you see him in his hotel. That's his, that, with the grand piano, that's his hotel room. That's a Michael Jordan-style hotel room. Um, and he's at the piano. He's describing to everyone who's around that piano that he had to get fundamental with it and pronate and, and, and gooseneck that wrist down. So that's the reason why it was because he was, he was on his last legs. He was out of gas and he was reminding himself to follow through on that jumper because he'd come up short in the second half so many times. So Jason, I pride myself on trying to be an industry tastemaker and I passively aggressively, sometimes directly, but most of the time subliminally because I don't beef down. Talk about people that are copying my style. You did something in this doc that may get copied. That's the watch the iPad for effect thing. Yep. Yep. Where we got Michael Jordan laughing and so many iconic memes. Do you feel like this is about to be the new wave? Um, it's certainly a technique, maybe not with an iPad, but it's a technique that others have used before. And I've used before is, is people watching something and getting their reaction to it. Um, the iPad with the advent of technology that the, the iPad pro shout out to Apple, feel free if you need my address. <laughs> um, that was, you know, nice and big and people could see that clearly. Cause it, if you notice that the first time I showed anything to anybody was Dennis Robin with my phone was Michael speaking uh, about the vacation 
And that mm. was just an effort to get Dennis to focus and, and, and lock in <laughs> on something because it was hanging off the walls. So I was like, no, look at this. Here's Michael Jordan talking about you. I need your full attention. I know the feeling. I know the feeling. <laughs> um, Between Jacoby and his kids and me, he does know the feeling. Yeah. He's, he's babysitting at work and afterwards. Um, so that's where, where that came from. And we always wanted to use it with Michael, but, but we wanted to have it look, just look a little bit more professional and not have him like squinting at my, my tiny little phone. Um, if people do use that, of course, it would be, it would be, uh, what do they say? Imitation is the highest form of flattery. So absolutely sure. But I, I, I know this, that I don't know if it would be necessary with someone who is not as high profile or, or, you know, iconized as Michael, but the, the, the impetus for that was that Michael's been asked every single question and every private. which way. Um, so how can we make this different for him and how can he stay stimulated and engaged? And it was basically just kind of a toy for him to play with and a way to bring people into the room without bringing them into the room. So of course you want his mom to be there and see how he acts with his mom. We're bringing the iPad. Same thing goes with Isaiah and with Reggie and with Gary Payton and with Jerry Reinsdorf. Let's get his reaction in, in real time. So um, it was really effective for us. So, Jason, as we sort of come to a close of this documentary and um, this particular discussion, we need about more it. episodes. We need more episodes. ESPN, Connor Shell, Libby Geist, <laughs> write a check. We need more episodes. We need 11 through 20. Jason, there's so many more things we can cover with Michael Jordan. You got him on text. I know you do. You got Polk on text. I've seen David Falk talking about the doc. I've seen so many people affiliated with MJ. You have more footage. You have more access. Will we get more? From no one has spoken Michael to me about Jordan. it. You, you gotta, you gotta ask the the good folks at. at I mean, we we're talking to you about it right now. This is an official request from two Disney Correct. employees to Correct. at least create one bonus episode of The Last Dance. There's yes. plenty. Of, if we want to do that, there's plenty of material to do so. Mm, there right. we you go. Heard oh, there you is. heard it here first. You heard it here first. He said we got it. He said we got it in the can. We got it in the can. He said we got it in the can. So that wasn't an official request, but now we're going to make sure that that happens so people will listen to this. But I do want to say, like, you've done an amazing job with this. and, and Yeah, you yeah. have. It's, it's really just captured the culture inside of sports and outside of sports for the last five weeks during this very interesting time in American history. And, like, do you ever just lie down at night, you can't sleep, and you look at the ceiling, and just sort of consider – not, I wouldn't say what you've done, but what your, you and your team has done for us and what that means to not just American society, but to the globe. Well, like, does it. that ever hit you? Um, I think all of us are really proud, uh, that we, that we got this thing done in time and, and that we got it done at all. There were a lot of, we worked our asses off on this thing for two and a half years. It wasn't just the last couple of months. It was two and a half years of people like, like Devin and Abai and Nina Kerstich and Chad Beck and Jake Rogal and Matt Maxson and Jillian Moosman and Ben Sazansky and, and Zach Rothfeld. I could go on and on. And everyone you didn't name. Yeah. You can never yes, complete a list um, like that. Yeah. Who came in every, I mean, we were working weekends. We were working holidays. We, we were working nonstop on this thing to get it done by June 2nd. So to, to accelerate that, I'm enormously proud that we were able to come together and get that done. And I, I'm enormously proud that 
we were able to get it done at all, frankly, because, because, you know, we could have just kind of thrown in the towel and stopped when, when we said that we didn't have an office. So the best, the, the highest compliment you can give is, is what you guys just said is, is that, um, it took people's mind off of, off of all the awful things that were going on on earth right now. And, and for an hour or two a week, um, gave people something to look forward to. I've had so many people say like, we can't wait for Wednesday night. I zoom with my family. We have a poker game with all my boys on Monday night. We just talk about the last dance and we have a zoom poker game, things like that. Anytime that I get a message from anybody on Instagram or Facebook or wherever throughout the world, if they mention their family, I try to write back to them because they say like my dad and I watch this or I show this to my daughter or, or something like that. So, um, if it brings people together, if it connects people a little bit more in this time of disconnection, then that's the highest possible compliment. And we're really, really proud that we got it done. Well, it absolutely has. And you know what? We're not done with you. We're going to do one big extra bonus recap episode of this because we know that everybody wants one more episode and ESPN knows it too. So we're going to get one more episode of you on this show and we're going to hope to get one more episode of the last dance on the big screen. Jason Hare. You said I said your name wrong earlier. Jason Hare, not air. Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate you taking the time, not just with us, but taking the time to make this film that we have loved as a species. You have done something big for our species during one of the strangest times our species has ever seen. I know it won't sink in now, but you will look back in years and sort of understand it will resonate with you what you've done for us. Thank you so much for doing this. This was this was uh, the moment every week that I look forward to was talking to you guys. So so thanks so much for Thank having you, me. I'm going to miss it next week. I'm going to miss seeing you guys next week and and uh, just chopping it up even when it's not about this this series. So can't wait to see you in person. Jalen, getting together with you and with Jason and with Michael Jordan every Sunday night has just been such a wonderful piece of my life. During such an awful time in our history, because you and like to honestly, see me unhappy and in pain, losing, you know what I want to say, Jalen. I don't ever down. do this on our show, and I want to say thank you so much, Jalen, because doing this with you and Jason has brought me so much joy every single Sunday night. You know what, Jay? We always say at the end of the show that KRS said, "We're not done. We're not done. We're not done." We are not done because not only will the Jalen Jacoby after show continue. After this about Michael Jordan, we have other films from ESPN that we will break down in the after show. Thank you so much for watching us. Thank you so much for listening to us. Thank you, Jason, for joining us. And thank you, Michael Jordan, for being worthy of such a project. Everyone, stay safe in your quarantine. We appreciate you taking in this content, and we'll be back. Why is that, Jalen? Because you got to get to homeschooling. And we're not done. We're not done. We're not done. Got to give the people Give the people what they want. Well, 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 well